I have to tell you that I had the time of my life writing this book. Uh, and uh, if you notice, you'll, you'll see some of the jokes in the book. Um, I'll tell you the story of the book. I was asked by ISI, uh, one of my former students, who now is their second-in-command and very libertarian, uh, to write a book on Austrian economics. <clears throat> so I said, okay, so just, uh, we just need something in six months because uh, none of the students that we're meeting understand anything about it. So I said, okay, so I got, I got my old bachelor's thesis out, which was published, or not published, but written back in 66. And I started, you know, going through, you know, Ben Bauwerk and Manger, et cetera. And then uh, 2000, it was about 2006. And 2007 started to happen. And, of course, it looked like it was going to be a tremendous mess. Okay, those of us of the Austrian school, most of us knew that this thing was coming. And it provided a wonderful opportunity because it gave us what's called a target-rich environment. We knew that the economy was going to turn down. And um, we, and I knew it would follow the Austrian thing, so I told the I told the other, let's wait, because it's not ready yet. I said this thing is going to go through a tremendous mess, and we can follow the whole thing step by step. So if you'll notice, uh, when we did the book, what I tried to do, and I had a strategy, I tried to use non-Austrian sources to support the Austrian case. And if you go through, there's all kind of irony in the book. In fact, I would come down to my with my two roommates. And I would uh, tell them in the morning, guess what I found last night? And of course, 2007, 2008, the establishment turned on itself. And of all people, George Soros said, and I, I would quote him, well, uh, mainstream economics uh, didn't predict this. They can't explain it, and they don't have any cures. Beautiful. That's exactly what I needed from George Soros. And if you'll notice, uh, when people ask me, they say, well, you know, one of the nice things about it is I came from Detroit or where Detroit used to be. And uh, <laughs> Detroit is a wonderful laboratory for government intervention. Okay, The picture on the book is from Detroit. And of course, the debate was whether we were going to use the old railway station or whether we were going to use one of the plants that the windows had been knocked out and whatever else. So it was easy, in a lot of ways, to get... Um, to get um, examples of what was going on. And of course, the first thing I took in the first chapter was on positivism. And it is surprising how many of these guys are attacking mathematical economics. And if you'll notice, I go through the irony. Um, I'm doing a seminar at my house, a discussion group on the book, and I said, why did you put this paragraph in? I said, don't you see the irony in it, that uh, you have John Kenneth Galbraith saying that economics... Uh, Prediction looks like, makes astrology look respectable, you see? And the whole thing is, is to use them on the other side. And, of course, one of the things I found out is they don't read their own sources. They have no concept of what their people are saying. So it was easy to go through Financial Times in the morning or the Wall Street Journal and to find out they were criticizing their own, their own operation. And it was fun. I have to tell you, I'm thinking of writing a new book on the common good, in which I want to take the, because I've heard this from the, uh, from the leftist and the Christian movement about common good, common good, and the next thing I want to do is turn that around on them, and the common good is the free market. But in any event, um, I have to thank the Mises Institute because of the works that they made available. 
Okay, and I will tell you this, in the, my, I think there's three or four pages of acknowledgments. It was a real division of labor. I mean, I had help from Paul Swick, I had enormous help from Professor Weglars, um, enormous help from my students, uh, from my roommates. Uh, we had, uh, it was a ball writing this. And it was a ball finding out how the other side is just twisting and turning and they're trying, they don't know what to do. I mean, they're really stalled. Um, interesting, Nixon said he was a Keynesian. Yet, he did everything he could to destroy the system Keynes set up. I mean, the irony, there's all these ironies out there. Um, and I often make the statement, there isn't any capitalist or free market system. It's what you get when you do the right things. And of course, one of the chapters in the book is the prerequisites for prosperity, in which I go through private property, uh, rule of law, etc. And of course, we had a wonderful example in the rule of law when they stole all the, uh, or excuse me, bankrupted General Motors and left the bondholders out to lunch. Okay, so it was very easy to come up with this stuff, the opposite. So the question was, and I often speak to tea parties, because the book is not full of mathematical equations. Okay, I can tell you, 40% of the book and most, a lot of the jokes were left on the uh, cutting room floor by my editor. But I, I have often speak to tea parties. Well, what should we do? I said, it's in the chapter of my book. Just do the right things and you'll get the free market. You'll get prosperity. Um, so what I did is the first part of the book, I went through the history. Uh, I have to say, I have to thank, again, the Mises Institute for the marvelous seminars that I got, Ralph Rako and a number of others, uh, who really opened my eyes. Um, I think Thule was another fellow. I did his uh, course and um, on World War I and starting to discover is in the research what exactly that thing did. So it was very, very, uh, it was a lot of fun doing it. And um, so the first part of the book is, a, is the attack on uh, positivism, which I'm now discovering more and more, and just uh, had to do a seminar on Mesa Socialism at CPAC, uh, in which I discover that he not only attacks the positivism of the mathematics, which are, is, uh, are absolutely worthless, and, but he's also attacking the positivism of social Darwinism and how that led to World War I, and it's opening up entirely new chapters for me. So I'm, as I say, I can't wait for the next one. Um, so anyway, I, I did the attack on positivism. The next thing was, of course, setting out the history of how we got here, and then, um, and then getting into the... Um, getting into the uh, whole concept of the reconstruction of economics, which is a really a statement of the importance of the division of labor. Uh, it's very interesting how, how uh, Menger added a number of things. In fact, Menger could be considered to be the father of the information revolution. Because he really came out and said, look, technology is there. Then I, I did an analysis of human action. And fortunately, I was trained in uh, Aristotelian and Thomistic philosophy, so I could talk about the virtue of prudence, and that would bring in a number of the people on the, what might be called traditional conservatives, because the prudential thing to do is to follow the free market. And I an analyzed human action. There's a number of corollaries there that I picked up from um, many of the Thomistic sources uh, that you'll see the corollaries of human action. And then, of course, uh, the inflation, and then the trade cycle. In the trade cycle, you'd be surprised. I mean, the nice thing about Keynes is you can get Keynes to say anything. Okay? I mean, my students ask me, well, what about John Maynard Keynes? I said, which one? Okay, which one? He was for the gold standard or against the gold standard. He, he said, if you expand the money supply, guess what's going to happen? You're going to create a boom or a bust. 
there. It's right there. So when people challenge me, I say, well, wait a minute, your guy said that. Ipsy Dixit, your guy said that. And that's the nice thing about doing it. I had, um, it's interesting to have a run in, the only objection I've gotten is not from mainstreamers, but there's this kind of an offbeat Catholic group called distributivism. And so um, they asked me a question, and they're generally pretty angry. And I said, uh, well, your guy's for the gold standard. Belloc says it in Economics for Helen on this page, because they don't read their own literature, okay? So truth, what I found out, is solidary. And it doesn't matter who says it. It matters what's said. Um, remember, authority is the weakest of the arguments. Reasoning is the strongest. So a lot of times, guys who are working who might be, we might consider opposed to us, are actually discovering and saying things that bolster our case. Okay, and this meltdown, and I have to say that I have to thank Professor Weglars for putting me in touch with a number of books by uh, what we call mainstreamers who attack the whole concept of positivism in economics and show how that was one of the enablers of the, of the meltdown. So it was a lot of fun to read, uh, a lot of fun to write. Um, and if you read the book, you'll see all kind of irony in there, okay? Because I, I love the use of irony. Milton Friedman, great, uh, great proponent of mathematics and economics, Chicago school. You can't, um, science is prediction, et cetera, with all the equations. And then at the end of his life, uh, I have uh, his uh, biographer, one of his people say, Milton really doubted the whole thing. Yeah, it's in, it's in Osterfeld's book, A Chicago School. He doubted the whole thing. Um, the interesting thing, Schumpeter, Schumpeter was, um, uh, I found out he was a, uh, he was a, a a great influence on Samuelson and wanted mathematical economics. And at the end of his, his biographer reports that at the end of it all, he said, well, <laughs> sorry, guys, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about it. And so I would, I would advise all of you to use irony. I tried to write it. Um, and my editor, I have to say, uh, my editor, uh, Jed Donahue at ISI was great because he cut out a lot of the cant and he would get me back to it and he'd say, Harry, look, the public does not understand this. Okay. And I had two editors. I had Jed who was a, was a, uh, um, academic editor and he edited a number of books. I think the last one was on Coolidge for Regnery. And then I had a newspaper fellow who would help me, uh, Jay McNally, who told me, he says, you got to pull the reader into this thing. you got to pull him into it. And so he would help me write the others. So I would say it was a joint effort. Uh, if you read the acknowledgments, you'll see it actually goes back to the seventh grade. Um, and uh, my, my instructor in the Constitution, Mr. Schnaubelt, who took us through. And at that time, we got the Constitution three times. We got a seventh grade, we got a twelfth grade, and we got it in college. That was the uh, was the pre-Vatican um, Catholic educational system. So in any event, but I could go back and I had a good memory. I could remember what these guys said, and I could remember Ed Schnaubelt in class talking about the division of powers in the seventh grade and the, the, the tyranny of, of unified government. Um, I could remember what my professor said. And so it was a joint effort. And I would say uh, it took me about uh, maybe 60 years to write the thing. Okay, and it's the product of all of that. It's the product of so many different influences and so many different uh, things coming together. Um, I think one of the things was being, as a, as a young person, and I will tell you, young folks who are here, uh, it was a product of getting to know a lot of the really the star lights of the conservative movement. Uh, when I was your age, I had lunch with Ludwig von Mises. 
I had met Hayek. I knew Russell Kirk personally. In fact, he and I were roommates for a while. I knew, um, I knew Lou. I knew Skousen. I knew a lot of these folks. So I would say for the young folks here, you'll write your book, okay? And you'll remember the, uh, the people who are here and you'll, you'll reach back in your memory and you'll find them and you'll say, hey, that person helped me here and that person helped me there. But I would say this, read the other side. I mean, the mathematics stuff, just throw it out. It, it, it's, it's about as worthless as, you know, I mean, they're all living in some kind of a wonder wonderland. And I think, um, I think uh, uh, Tom DiLorenzo referred to it. It's this utopian vision that is completely worthless. And I'll, I'll finish with this. I often start an economics class. Kids come in there. So how many of you guys hated economics? Most of the hands. How many of you had economics before? Most of the hands go up. How many of you hated it? The same hands go up. And I say, well, what, what, why do you hate it? Well, it's just a bunch of graphs and charts, and I never understood a thing. Okay. One of the most ironic things in, Marsh, in uh, Marshall's book is he says, go through this mathematics, and then what? Burn the mathematics. <laughs> Burn it. This is Marshall saying it. So what you have to do, my advice to you is, get to know the other side because they don't read it. And um, I'll finish in this. I had a, in a radio interview, I've had about 30 of those. Uh, ISI, by the way, was very good about getting on the radio. And uh, some lady called up. I think she had some one of these kind of offbeat PhDs. I could tell by the voice in some kind of studies <laughs> or something. And, and she says, she says, sir, she says, um, uh, you know, Paul Krugman disagrees with you. And I said, I said, well, madam, I said, that's very interesting because Paul Krugman um, just had a, a conference in London sponsored by George Soros. And he criticized mainstream economics. She said, you're quoting him out of context. I said, for the whole weekend? <laughs> and then she said, well, Jeffrey Sachs disagrees with you. I said, really? I said, two weeks ago, he had an article in the Financial Times praising Hayek. And Hayek was an Austrian. She said, well, you, we need more regulation. I said, madam, I absolutely agree with you. We absolutely need more regulation that works. We need to regulate the dollar to gold. But that was the end of the conversation. But it's fun. It's fun dealing with these people because they don't have any conception of their own sources. Um, most of them, it's a template that they picked up. And uh, sometimes you can't break through the template. But sometimes you can do it with humor and irony. And I, I will say that if you read the book, you'll, 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 every sentence, there's a reason for every sentence. There's a little irony or a little poke that I'm trying to give the other side. So uh, hopefully I'll be here. I'll have my fountain pen tomorrow if you want me to sign the books. Otherwise, it's with ballpoint today. But um, I have to tell you this. I, I really appreciate everything that the Mises Institute did. There are publications of works by Rebke that were unavailable. Uh, their bank, some of the things in the banking that were unavailable has made the scholarship so much easier. Really has made it so much easier. So I want to thank uh, the Mises Institute for having me and for doing all the work. And... Um, uh, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy the book, and uh, it has a lot of things in there in Detroit. I suggested to the Philadelphia Society that we have a uh, a conference on the failure of government intervention, and we hold it in what was Detroit. <laughs> <laughs>